Good morning, Ohio, because that's where I'm at. I don't know what happened. He was backstage literally seconds ago, and he's not anymore. He His connection was trying to connect, but it's just a black screen now. So uh, they're, they're backstage working on that right now. Sorry for the weird start to the show. Here we go. We'll, we'll do the new intro again. Gardenia, okay. can you see me? No, we can't. Oh, oh. Shit. oh. yeah, you are having you are having heavy difficulties this morning. That is a You're... weird coding thing. All right, I'm gonna restart. Okay, he's gonna restart. So, <laughs> sorry, sorry again about the the confusion, everybody. Welcome to Gym Freedom. I got some updates, anyways. I'm here visiting uh, my daughter, who's about to have my granddaughter. I've mentioned it before, but I just like talking about it because I'm so happy to be here. So uh, that's why I'm in Ohio. Uh, welcome from Ohio. And okay, our host is back already again here. So here we go. Thank you. Good morning, Gardenia. Woo! Woo! I have no idea what that was, but we, we are coming to you with a uh, new phone. And we, we got to audition it yesterday with, no, now it's gone again. Wow. It, this is strange. Uh, bear with us. No, you're sideways. I'm sideways. Okay. So you're sideways and frozen, but we still have, oh, we still had audio until that second. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and get promos out of the show early while he's trying to figure out what he's doing. T.me forward slash Adam versus man. That's where you can go to find all the links of everything that we, uh, we post the links of everything we talk about on the show that day of the show. So anything, if you want to follow along, you join t.me forward slash Adam versus man. It's a free telegram. Everyone's welcome to join. So please do that. Um, next we talk about patreon.com patreon.com forward slash Adam versus man has the ways you can financially support. So one, five, 10, even $50 a month packages. $10 a month is the sweet spot that'll get you access to the private producers club. That's where we share links and talk about what we're going to do, uh, what we're going to be do, talking about on the show. Next, we'll show you the Instagram guard at the Garden of Freedom is the handle there. So definitely give that a follow, scroll through, see all the fur babies, cats and dogs, and life up there in Gardenia. Beautiful pictures and videos, high quality. It's a really good site. So definitely check out Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. Uh, visually stimulate your eyeballs every single day, at least once a day. Next, we'll talk about homefrontbuddies.com, uh, the best veterans nonprofit organization attempting to end the need for combat veterans in the first place. If you'd like to help them in their efforts to do so, always know that all of your donations are theft deductible at homefrontbattlebuddies.com. So definitely take advantage of that. Next, we'll talk about the crypto, the number six.com. That's the Bitcoin church that was raided up in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm sure you've heard all about it. We talk about it every single day and we're going to talk about it until all of them are released from cages and all of their charges are dropped because it's bullshit. No victim, no crime. These are the QR codes. You can donate different cryptocurrencies to the legal funds to help them out. This top link right here, you can write to Mr. Nobody who's still in a cage. It'll give you the address and how instructions how to do that. So definitely do that. Lastly, gogreenenergyonline.com. That's the best website we send everybody to with our uh, host we have every Friday, Mr. Nygaard. He can tell you anything you need to know about solar panels, micro wind power, zero energy homes, 
if you want to get yourself self-sustaining off-grid, no matter where you live, you can educate yourself on how to do that at gogreenenergyonline.com. That's all I got promos. Hopefully we got a solid connection now. What's going on, Mr. Kokesh? The promos are done now, so that's good. All right. Good job, Jim. Uh, we may have figured things out here. This be- Do I look good at least? I better look good because I paid a lot of money for this phone. No. Uh, operator error with the setup here and holy crap we're four and a half minutes into the show already and uh, it keeps freezing on me but we have an exciting show today steve remus uh, another veteran our co-host for tuesdays joins us in just a few minutes here we've got an update on flooding in tennessee we've got a big afghanistan block and i'm having a lot of fun watching the tech side of that and the taliban is on twitter taliban's on twitter donald trump is not and I, I, I hate to say this because it's like I, the Trumpians, the Trumpkins must be having a field day with this shit right now going, oh, my God, this proves that they just hate Trump. They hate conservatives. And not that Trump is any kind of conservative. Uh, but for the censorship that happens on Twitter and uh, we have a great guest today, Jeremy Kaufman of Library. Oh, I've, it's one of those things. L-B-R-Y. How do you pronounce that? I'd say library, but I would just LBRY. Library. Because I've heard, because I, because it's a, why do you insert the I, but not the other R and the A, right? Why can't you say if it's, if it's, it's obviously a reference to the word library. We will ask Jeremy directly, the creator. Liberated? Is it lit? Yeah, I want to know now. What's the, uh, because I've only heard it. If you just say library, Kind of fast. Is it library? Library. You know, eventually it becomes library anyway, right? Isn't that? I guess. No kids say it. I mean, but you say lol, and I just say lol. So <laughs> I'm really excited to have him on today and to be talking about this cutting edge platform in blockchain based social media. I am excited to learn for myself how to be more effective on Odyssey, which is the social media platform built on the library or library blockchain. Uh, but first, uh, some just important, compassionate observations we got to share as, uh, you know, some victims of, well, you know, I, we covered this, we, we mentioned this yesterday with the flooding in Tennessee, right? Uh, 22 dead, uh, hundreds injured. And, and Joey was like, this is Joey. Jim said the same thing. I'm going to make fun of you, Joey. Jim you said, said the same thing I did. 17 inches. You have to be laying down flat to drown in 17 no, inches of water. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is like, that is a really, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a comment that you made. And I guess Jim made, I like a lot of people make this. It's really dumb and ignorant about physics that results in a hilariously uncompassionate response to tragedy right like how could you die in 17 inches of of water well it's when 17 inches of rain hits an area all at once and then concentrates in dangerous ways that you have forceful flooding that sends vehicles slamming into each other and the 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 death is i want to share this as a note of compassion as a a little follow-up to yesterday's story because uh, this the, the first link in the stack today that you can get at t.me slash Adam versus the man, the Charlotte observer. This is scary woman films water rising at Tennessee home 
before she dies in flood. Isn't that crazy? Now you go, how did that happen? Right? How, how physically, like physically, how, how does that happen? Well, imagine if you're in a, a, a sort of structurally flimsy double wide in a neighborhood with a lot of vehicles. And next thing you know, the water gets up to be a few feet high and it's starting to seep into your house. And then it's getting a, a couple more feet high and vehicles are getting pushed around and debris is getting pushed around that is. and trees are getting knocked over. It's the, the debris, I think, that usually. Exactly. Well, this woman was filming water coming up to her window in front of her house. And it's a, Jim can show the video. It's it's not very helpful. Uh, no offense to to this uh, poor woman, uh, Linda Allman, but she wasn't a great cinematographer there with her cell phone. Uh, but this is a, a really powerful moment captured with this technology just that we, we take for granted now that gives us an insight into tragedies like this and I hope can serve to humanize them. She was in the home with her son. And in the video, you hear him saying, I think something hit the house. Mm. Imagine if that was a car. And I mean, I, 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 we can scroll through. I don't, Jim, we got, we got one more link on this story. Uh, survivors grapple with aftermath of deadly Tennessee flood. You can skim through some of those pictures. Um, if you, if you haven't seen them, I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing special. Like it's special in the sense that, uh, for the people in Tennessee, this isn't something they were expecting. This broke all historical records, uh, by a, a three inch margin, which is pretty big. And they, uh, weren't really prepared for this. And, and, and as I pointed out yesterday, yeah, we can blame the government two ways for not having appropriate drainage for zoning for, for things like that. But ultimately it's on the people for where they choose and to live and, and how they choose to live, of course. Uh, but also, but, but in some, in some cases, do you know that the government flood works are going to be so radically inefficient? And if this freak storm comes next thing, you know, you're going to be dead and in the in the case of Linda uh, Almond, she was uh, in the house making that video. Something hit the house, and her son and, and her she had they they had to get up on the roof. You can't just stand in four feet of water in your house, you know. So they got up on the roof, and then it collapsed. And they're swept away in the flood water, and then he gets rescued, and and she's found dead. So with that, we have one other story to get to before our Afghanistan block and we bring our co-host on you see with us fun weird logistical technical difficulties this morning but we always carry on MRC newsbusters that's newsbusters.org with this fun headline and 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 I I this is like a, a something that should be a, a mainstream headline and is it because remember under Donald Trump and again, wow, I feel like I'm taking it's I, I don't mean to sound sympathetic to Trump at all. Trust me, please, please don't misunderstand me here. But under Trump, because the rhetoric that he used around the issues of immigration, of, of xenophobia, of fear of outsiders was such a trigger for the left. The mainstream media blew it up and kids in cages and crisis at the border. Well, by the numbers. Here's a fun headline. 
Biden's border crisis worse than ever. TV coverage drops 96%. The illegal immigration influx along the U.S. southern border has worsened every month since President Biden took office. But the liberal broadcast networks have essentially stopped covering the crisis, according to the latest statistics from U.S. Customs and Border Security. Encounters along the southern border rose to a 21-year high of 212,672 in July, up from 173,283 in March, 23% increase. Now, there's a lot of subjective analysis in this, you know, what constitutes a crisis, you know, and, and, and obviously this is of the same scale and by the criteria applied before when Trump was in office to criticize him. Yeah, crisis, pretty, pretty mild term to describe America's immigration situation. And, and you know me, gov- there, there's a, the answer to immigration is very simple. We have to recognize what is a legitimate border and what is not. That's it. Private property borders are legitimate. Government borders are not. And you can stop someone legitimately from entering your property. You can have border control for space that you own. It's yours. You have a right to keep people out. You do not have a right to interfere with freedom of movement between locations because the government drew a line on the map and said, well, this is our territory within this line. and we, we own this, sort of. We're going to let citizens pretend that they own little bits of land and have, have you know, ownership privileges. But when it comes down to it, we are the sovereign. We own this territory. And it's it's been a while since the immigration issue has really come up, and I've gotten to make that point. But it's an important one. And I think really critical to where we are right now in terms of human progress with governments and the renewed call for decentralization, which I have more confidence in ever in than ever as the way forward for humanity. Uh, cool thing we're gonna get to now with that, uh, we're gonna end on that theme rather with tech censorship and decentralization, talking about Afghanistan before we get to our guest today, Jeremy Kaufman with Library and Odyssey. But now, give me Steve, Steve Remus up on stage. Morning, brother. You're muted. Such a polite co-host. <laughs> I'm go- I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the I'm, I'm glad you made a statement on immigration and borders because I created an internet firestorm <laughs> about immigration and borders. So um, it's always nice when you're when you're with a like-minded libertarian and you're just like, yeah, yeah. And then I'll, I can go and read what like 500 other people are saying and go, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? I, I know this, that, that like as at generally uh, as libertarians, as uh, objectivist types, yeah, we tend to to think that we can rely on our own logic and reason as if in a vacuum, and have absolute confidence in our understanding of the world. And it's a nice but silly ideal because, unfortunately, the human mind doesn't work that way. And there's yeah. still a great virtue and value in preaching to the choir and reaffirming these things that we know to be true because we are not superhumans psychologically as as libertarians we like to think of ourselves as more aware more self-aware healthier as a result 
of thinking for ourselves rather than authority, not being cognitively light, uh, which is a psychological term for being subject to uh, the manipulations of external factors in determining your mood and your outlook and your attitude. But uh, one of my favorite studies from my psychology undergrad uh, was th this, uh, I, I wish I could, you know, it goes along with like Milgram obedience studies and these, these Stanford prison experiments, these, these classic uh, psychological, social psychological lab experiments that really powerfully explain how the human mind works. And yeah. one of them was uh, the, I, the Ash conformity test. And they had a group of confederates of fake test subjects sitting around a table with one real test subject. And they put a piece of paper out with three lines of different length. And they said, tell me which one is the shortest. And they sent it around to all the confederates first. And they said, the wrong answer. And then when it got to the actual test subject, half the time they gave the wrong answer just because everybody else did. And we need to strengthen the libertarian community and affirm our conclusions because we are communal creatures. And as much as libertarianism is described as an individualist philosophy, I really reject that analysis. It's an ethical philosophy. Ethical principles don't exist in practice without relationships between human beings. So I, I prefer, you know, describing my libertarianism rather than you know, as an individualist concept of, I have rights. You know, that's why I prefer voluntarism as the yeah. philosophical anchor of, of, of my beliefs or my analysis and, and what I think is important. So yeah, for immigration, then you go, there's a lot of people who haven't figured that out as a matter of libertarian principle and seen how it applies. And so, you know, I want to often you know, play devil's advocate against myself to test my own ideas. Like, is there any way that restricting freedom of movement, could it temporarily be a good, no, no, there's, and, and the one statistic that really backs this up for the people who need this, if you removed government borders just as an impediment to the free flow of labor, global yeah. productivity would double. There are at least several serious economic analyses that back up that general analysis that it would double, which means either quality of life doubles for everybody or everybody has to work half as much. But because we don't allow people to go work where their labor is in demand because of these silly lines on a map, everybody suffers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the folks, you know, there's, there's, there's some good conversations taking place in all the quote tweets and sub threads and all these things. There's the majority of the people who are like, well, if, you know, if you let illegal immigrants work, then you're supporting slave labor. And I'm like, that's a very, I'm like, that's a huge jump that you're accusing me of making here. <laughs> like, I'm going to support you for violating the Geneva conventions for torturing that logic, sir. Is that is that what set off the firestorm? Um, honestly, um, I think a lot of it was that uh, I said that most illegal immigrants that I know are going to work harder than most Americans I know, and that's that's you know everyone was like, well, that's not true, and I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, like, are you sure? Because I live in Southern Arizona and I have a different experience than you. 
you know, and most of the people that most of the people like to comment on Arizona's border problem or, or our immigration stuff, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Michigan. I'm like, yeah, you guys, you know, you guys really have a firm understanding of how like the economy <laughs> works down here. Thank you. I really appreciate that feedback. Um, I'm going to take that feedback. I'll put it in the garbage with the rest of your state. And uh, I'm going to continue to do what I think is best for Arizona, right? So, yeah, it's, 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 and I think that's what happens because, because the federal government is, is so involved in Arizona's southern border now that they've made it like this national talking point. That's, that's not a national talking point. That's an Arizona talking point. Let, let Arizonans do what Arizonans need to do because we have the understanding of, Trying to collectivize me under the artificial collective <laughs> of the state border drawn <laughs> around this this rectangle known as Arizona. You tell me that because I live here in the mountains and you live down there in Tucson, that I have to be in the same. Your problems are your problems, man. <laughs> yeah, like like okay, I live forty five minutes to an hour from the border. Okay, like I'm like people that live near me in South. Like if, if you want to have the nuanced discussion on like, you know, the pros and cons of like what, what has happened over the last 20 years, people should have a conversation with us. But they don't, they don't. They're like, well, we need more. We just need the federal government down there. And I'm like, no, man, no, because, because they've been down here and, and look at what they've done. They've made it drastically worse than it was 20 years ago when they thought it was worse 20 years ago. Mm. So I'm like, you know, and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, you, you have to do something. I'm like, you know, there's ranchers down there that have private property. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of private property along the border. And we'd, we'd probably be a lot better off if we, you know, let, let people deal with their private property. And then if we're going to get into, like, immigration process, like, how about <laughs> how about we make that a little more realistic? Um, you know, there's always that, there's always that, uh, comparison. They're like, well, most Americans won't pass the citizenship test. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, like that test is no joke. <laughs> um, so, but on top of that, there's, there's, there's these fees and there's like these processes and there's this wait times and there's all this convoluted federal stuff. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, what if, what if we had like an, a more Ellis, like a Ellis Island style immigration approach between us and Sonora, Mexico, where we could have better business, better trade, better economic flourishment, because there's a ton of people down here and we could do a lot for the business and the economy in Southern Arizona. And it's just like a foreign concept to anybody who lives like away from the area. Well, Steve, I want to change gears for a second for the rest of this hour maybe you can make a connection here but uh obviously a big part of the way that immigration is discussed politically in the u.s is based on fear mongering fear of outsiders and others yeah. and uh it, it's very much a a wedge issue that plays on a lot of different psychological fears and senses uh, of identity and for a lot of us as veterans, this is the change in gears part here. Uh, there's a sense of our identity as veterans that is very much connected to what is going on in Afghanistan, whether we were personally there or not. 
And uh, are you on the VA email list? Yeah. So you got the, 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 there was, I don't know if you saw this, but last week, I think I saw this over the weekend. I've been waiting to talk to you about it. There was an email specifically saying, hey, you might be seeing what's going on in the news with yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah, I saw that email. Feeling suicidal. Please be sure to reach out. And it's like, yeah. 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 Uh, at least the VA isn't being told not to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I read the email. Um, and, and honestly, the, the good, the best time for this, uh, with what we we're just talking about is, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our issues seem to stem from, uh, certain certain wars right so we have endless foreign wars uh that were in afghanistan I'm, i don't think our war in afghanistan is over so i'm going to say it's still one of the endless wars you still have iraq um and you also have our foreign intervention our foreign policy in in other countries like in central and south america so you start talking about all the things the federal government has intervened in and you can start drawing parallels between oh well you know, we're, we're starting to have a, an increase in immigration because for, of, of certain foreign policy. Well, now we've, we've, we've obviously had flawed foreign policy in the Middle East for probably longer than I've been alive. So, um, so, so now, now you have to start looking and going like, what, what has gone wrong? So now why, so now why the Taliban, right? If, if, they've turned over a new leaf or whatever it is they're going to do over there. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot of, if, if they go around and they start just like mass murdering people, well, it's, it's sort of our fault for intervening and doing all this stuff for 20 years when, I don't know, 15 years ago, we knew bin Laden wasn't in Afghanistan. We knew he was in Pakistan. So, why was there not this movement to like, I mean, look at how long it took us to, to pinpoint this guy that we knew was right across the border. Like, okay, like, well, on, Steve, I want to go back to something because you said that we're still at war in Afghanistan in the sense that there's troops, there's active military operations. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I still want to take this as a win. I want to, I want to count this as a win for peace, as a win for freedom even though I recognize that it's, it's, there's, there's a larger continuation of the escalation of, of so, war and militarism around the world throughout human history. This so can I, can I lessen your win? Can I lessen your win a little more? No. <laughs> no. But like, so all, all the equipment and all the guns and all the stuff we left. So, okay. So now, right. Give, give it, I'm, I'm telling people, give it, two, three to five years. And now we're like, wow, that's a well-armed whatever that's, you know, uh, Sharia law and, and killing women and children and all this stuff. And they're going to use that same fear-mongering narrative. Like, well, well, now, you know, they're well-equipped, they're well-armed, and we'll go right back in there. So I've, I've, been, I've been pointing that out as well, that there is a a deliberate effort yeah. to make a mess because they, they, they make a mess. They have an excuse to re-engage one way or another or to make a mess and, and scatter the mess 
and invade other countries. And now there's terrorist groups here and there and blah, 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 blah. All, uh, I, maybe uh, a more realistic negative side of the spectrum possible outcome here is that it's going to end up like Japan, Germany, right? Where, you know, we were at war. We, U.S. was at war for a long time, used the war as an excuse to have an ongoing military presence. And I, th I think that uh, is sort of a more likely outcome of this. But there is a significant shift in policy here that, that does represent, you know, at least a, a, an achievement in this de-escalation of militarism over time. And I think you and me can see that the, the, announcing the end of the Afghanistan war isn't really that significant. No, it's as, not. As much as people want it to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. But I do think it represents something significant politically that Biden had to end it. There's no, he had no chance of reelection, no chance of yeah. <laughs> not sustainable politically. I don't know if this is going to help his credibility. <laughs> versus, hey, I'm running for reelection and it's still going. True. You know, yeah. it's that, that, that he had to, he had to put a dramatic end on it that, that felt I, like an end for a lot of people. I don't know. Every president since this started, Bush, Obama, Trump, even has said, Oh, we're pulling out of Afghanistan, and it's like right. kind of happened, and then it hasn't. So, I'm curious as to whether or not yeah, Obama got reelected line about Afghanistan, yeah. so, uh, Bush got reelected line about Afghanistan. Trump said it just yeah. to be uh, happy, all right. right? All right, but, but I, what, what I want to get at, Steve, is, is more for veterans and, and their perspective. And, and what I wanted to ask you is, Well, do you have any feelings about this? You know, because people like you and I who have gone through this process of disillusionment already have probably processed all of our feelings. There's nothing yeah. new that we're like, oh, my God, it was all for nothing. Now we feel like losers. But there are a lot of other veterans going through that experience. Even if you are, you know, Zen Buddhist detached from this experience of watching the fake end, if you want to call it that. And I don't want to call it that. I'm, I'm going like, you know what? We're calling occupations wars now. Cool. It's a war in Afghanistan. It's at least at, at, in some seminal way, this is the end of the war in Afghanistan. I'll call it that. You know, um, there are a lot of people, uh, uh, veterans, especially uh, gold star families watching what to them is the real end of the war in Afghanistan, no question. Yeah. There's a real <clears throat> punch in the gut to see that undeniable reality because I, I, I want to say, in a sense, it seems like your avoidance of reality, your avoidance of having any emotional responses to deny the significance of this. To well, them, you've been denying the significance of this for years, and now they have to face it. Yeah. Now, so now, now they have to deal with the actual possibility, right, of of their their loved one, their veteran that they lost, um, and 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 the so you have the polarizing you have the polarizing media, right? <clears throat> so you have you have the one side that's going to polarize it as absolute total utter failure, right? Like we were there for twenty years. The Taliban has the country back, you know. You, you lost your family member in vain, right? It was all for nothing. And for people who were fighting for the last 
five, 10, 15, 20 years after having lost, you know, their son, daughter, husband, wife, to have like the media come out and just throw that in their face. Like there, there's, there's a lot of people who are having a lot of, a lot of time struggling. Then you have the other side who, who are going to try to parade Joe Biden as some sort of heroic savior, um, you know, and I, I honestly, did, did he probably need to do it? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> but it comes to me, it's a lot like when Bush ended Iraqi freedom, <laughs> you know, we declare victory and we're still bombing the shit out. We're still fighting over there. Like there's no, <laughs> uh, yes, we won, uh, but we've also lost at the same time. If, uh, you know, we're, it's not even a draw. It's not even a draw at this point. We can't like leave these places and like, all right, clean slate, 50, 50. Uh, we didn't win. We didn't lose. Um, but we, we've, we've clearly after this extended amount of time have, have, have lost some sort of, uh, like, you know, uh, you, you have, you have, I mean, you have veterans and you have families that, that just like, Oh, I, I served my country. I did this for my country. I did all these things for this narrative of doing it for freedom, for liberty, to free people. That's never what it was. And now, like you can see, we had all these years to like move the equipment back, to to not arm an entire like group of people who for 20 years we were told were bad dudes, <laughs> you know? And now we're just like, you look like you need a freaking Harrier and a Humvee, right? Like no man <laughs> no that's 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 counter that's that's counter narrative to what americans want to believe um but pro narrative to what the military industrial complex does so i want to ask uh, how does this make you feel and by this i mean two things one seeing the what, what i think you would characterize as the fake end to the war in afghanistan yeah and uh seeing everybody else in the military community or who had an investment in this effort going through this. What, what's your emotional response to seeing both of those things, even though you don't have, like yeah. you processed your emotions about the disillusionment, but being one step ahead in this process, now seeing one, the fake with the fake end and the emotional response of everybody else. How do those things make you feel? So here's, yeah, so here's what you end up with, at least in my opinion, right? So I'm, I'm a, I mean, you and I are a few years removed from our service, right? So we, we have a little more head start on being able to look back and reflect on things. Part of me, as I look back to when I was 17, 18, and, and how I viewed my country and my leaders at that time, and the way I view them now, I'm like, wow, like, you, 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 you knowingly were willing to send the kids of, of other people, the children of other people to do something that was not just in its cause. Did the, but when we're 17 and 18, it's real easy to sell us a just cause, you know, like. We're looking for it. Like, yeah. to me, this is, I think something that, that we need to be aware of as libertarians about one of the things that is, is fertile psychological soil for militarism is that young men have 
a, a tendency towards aggression and, and conflict and want that to be engaged in a righteous way. They want to challenge that or channel that into divine masculinity, into something that is righteous in, in the spirit of the warrior. Oh, yeah. They're <clears throat> the, joining the military because that's the only place that society gives them to express that in a way that they know they're going to get a paycheck, social approval, smoke blown up their ass and free drinks at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's the whole ideology of, you know, especially in the Marine Corps, you know, the longstanding traditions, the, the, you are like the premier American warrior, right? You like tip of the spear, American warrior, Spartan, death dealer like all the cool things when you're like 17 18 you're like i am a dealer of death right like now now as as i watch and i watch some of my younger friends and they're still in the marines in the army in the in the air force whatever and i'm like wow if i was still in you know you have that sense of you know there's gonna be people who have that sense of like well what did we accomplish like where's these where's the sense of like so you're gonna have the sense of things left undone like we didn't we didn't do the things that we were told we were going to do right like we stayed there we stayed in afghanistan for 20 years um is afghanistan like uh westernized like kuwait no absolutely not not even close <laughs> right we missed we missed the mark on that by a lot um is, is well, iraq i, I like, want to challenge two things you're saying now one your collectivist use of the word we here. And I'll forgive you that when you're talking about we, the military that we yeah, were yeah. a part of. I can say when we occupied Iraq, I can't say when we invaded Iraq because I wasn't there for the invasion. And yeah. the other thing, and I, I, I know this sounds like grammar Nazi shit, but I, and, and I, I think right now, especially around Afghanistan, it's more important than than ever than with any other issue for libertarians to use accurate language because yeah. it's attribution of responsibility. We are not, it's like Doug Stanhope making fun of patriotism, right? Yeah. Make the, so, so yeah, so it's, it's not, you've never met and take credit for shit. You never did. You know, like when yeah. we were in Normandy, did we do that? Yeah. So I'm, it's, it's, it's not, drunk and threw up behind the taco bell steve i don't i don't think we really defeated the the, the germans in normandy yeah. uh, that so, wasn't so, here's, so when i talk about we as as like so we failed so like you know everyone's like we failed you know the you know you see a lot of the military failed so i go wait hold on a second i'm like we as in the american voter right even i tell people i'm like i messed up as an american when I voted for one of these two parties because they sold me on pretty words, a bill of goods that, that, that they were never gonna deliver. And it took me way too long than I'm, than I'm comfortable to admit to realize what was going on. And boy, when you have that, when you have that epiphany, you do not feel good, okay? Like, like when, when I sit here and I tell people, I'm like, yeah, you know, they're like, they're like oh, well, you know, the military failed in Afghanistan or, you know, it's, it's Congress's fault. It's the president's fault. And I'm like, nah, man, who put them there? Who didn't hold them accountable? Well, I get, so the next, the second thing I got to like grammar Nazi you on is, is the uh, idea of the Afghanistan war as a failure. 
If you were tricked into it, then you are a victim of it, right? So if you were even a top-level military commander in Afghanistan and you believed in the mission at some point and thought that what you were doing was righteous, you might have failed to achieve your stated objectives but you are not the criminal, and even and I, I don't think anybody at that level really is is this ignorant. But in, in terms of the troops on the ground, who thought we are going to do this, oh, we failed to do this. No, this was this was a war crime designed by people higher up in the decision making process. Yeah. And so to call it a failure is a disservice to the victims. So I think victims think that we failed, but even the people of Afghanistan, it is a disservice to them to not acknowledge that this was a war crime, not a mistake, not a failure. It was a very successful, very effective, very profitable war crime. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that comes that comes from the point of view, right? So I still, you know, I'm still only a couple of years removed from service. So I still feel like, you know, uh, and it's really hard because because I know there's I know there's other veterans out there like me who are like, oh well. If they would have just sent me over there more, if they would, if they just would have sent us over there more, but then like I, I sit back and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that again? Right? Like, but it's like this whole sense of the narrative and the and like what they sell you as a young man or even young young woman. Like, you, you want to be an American? You want to defend freedom? You know, you want to you want to you want to give everybody and 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 bring uh, individual liberty to places around the world, join the military. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, that's that narrative, that that part of the military industrial complex is as if not more effective than what the media narrative does, right? Because the media narrative does the same thing. Even if they're saying like, oh, they're, 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 you know, CNN's anti-war. Not, not one, not one moment in, in time of, of CNN covering anything that was going on over there was there any approach to like, well, maybe all these people are making a ton of money right now and we should pay attention to that. That narrative never, that narrative doesn't come to you until years after your service ends. And then you sit there and you go, oh yeah, I remember the contractors. I remember the contractors making like $400,000 a year. Man, they were making a lot of money. Why are they making so much money? Then you start you start kind of pulling threads, and then you kind of just start getting sick to your stomach because because you eventually get up to that top level of like, oh well, now the Secretary of Defense was a former Raytheon board member. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, let's get into some of these headlines. Speaking of the yeah. mainstream perspective on this, because Steve, there are a couple in particular that I, I want you to help me pick apart. But first, zero hedge with this headline: Airbnb. That housed 20,000 Afghan refugees after Biden's botched pullout. I first saw this story on uh, on Twitter, uh, on, on some Telegram channel as uh, like a screenshot of this tweet from Brian Chesky, who's, who's apparently uh, the co-founder and head of community. Uh, starting today, Airbnb will begin housing. 20,000 Afghan refugees globally for free. While we will while we will be paying for these days, we cannot do this out do this without the generosity of our hosts. 
The displacement and resettlement of Afghan refugees in the U.S. and elsewhere is one of the biggest humanitarian crises of our time. We feel a responsibility to step up. I hope this inspires other business leaders to do the same. There's no time to waste. Uh, I, obviously, we can celebrate this simplistically as, yeah, the government failed so miserably. <laughs> For all the trillions of dollars pissed into the sand in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the one that has know, to step up and solve the housing crisis for the refugees. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and you, I guess if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, all right. So you get, <clears throat> we hopefully get some form of freedom of movement. Uh, you, you get some, you get some form of a business doing what a business wants to do right in the free market. Um, ultimately like, you know, some of the stuff makes me sit and wonder. I'm like, okay, if we had left, I don't know, 15 years ago, if we left Afghanistan 15 years ago, would, would we have had to do the same thing? Or was Afghanistan less of a crime 15 years ago than it turned into over the last 15 years? I don't know. I don't know if it, if, if, you know, after five years or after, you know, we got Osama, if if we still would have had to rehome a bunch of refugees. No, because a lot of the refugees are collaborators, essentially. Yeah. And I think it's been, <clears throat> there was, I mean, there's a certain feeling right now, and this is a really important crux of what is happening in Afghanistan right now is will the Taliban live up to their rhetoric of being inclusive, forgiving, and you know, respectful of women's rights yeah. under law, blah, blah. Uh, but all, all of those things that they proclaim as, uh, you know, higher standards having, you know, humanitarian stands, standards having shifted from their policies of the 90s. Uh, but if if the United States hadn't spent so much time hiring Afghans, bribing them to betray their people, oh, yeah. there would not be this <clears throat> massive conflict between the Taliban and, and their supporters versus people who work for the U.S. government, the Afghan you know, National Army, et cetera. Um, so there's a halo on my shoulder that might be something funky with this lens or, uh, Joey's been fucking with the light, distracting me for like a minutes going, it's like playing Jim. with the light in the studio. It's, yeah, it's yeah, 44 oh, wait, minutes. Jim says perfect. Okay, it's whatever perfect you did now. is perfect now. You fixed it. Really? That this was is, it? This, this is the I think I just had to adjust the screen. In the producer's trap here, not producer's club. Yeah, okay. Back well, that did chat. it, that did it. All right, so... Next in our stack. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was better when we had when it was winter time here and the the, the the light came in for like the first 10 minutes of the show. I actually had <laughs> you guys remember that there was like a period of the show where it's like, well, it's it's eight o'clock. I'm an angel for 10 minutes and then we'll be in normal lighting. Uh but yeah, thank you, thank you, Joey. Um perfect. The shot looks so much better. And better than with the old. All right, so next, NBC News CIA chief secretly met Taliban leader as Biden faces pressure 
over Afghan evacuation deadline. Uh, I mean, the secretly thing here, I like, well, yeah, it was, it was secret for what a few hours until it was over. Yeah. And then, and then it was main, major mainstream media headlines. It's almost like we still, the, the, the government, we still have to be the ones engaging with the Taliban. We can't have Pepe the frog talking to them on Twitter and arranging for, this was a real story. By the way, I did a really fun panel yesterday on Afghanistan with uh, Afghanistan veteran libertarian activist Justin O'Donnell, Scott Horton, antiwar.com, and Panvidia Magnus, who's organizing End the, end the Damn Wars.org, yep. and the national rallies going on uh, 9-11, where I will be in, in uh, Sacramento, California. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be in Phoenix. I'll be at the one in Phoenix, so... Access, but they, they actually looked into this. Like this is this was a it was a real thing. There was a, a representative of the Taliban on Twitter talking to a random dude with a Pepe the Frog icon, just translating into Arabic. I don't know if he was a native Arab speaker or not. And he was the one who arranged for the passage of like the, that was what was necessary to, to coordinate. I this is it's mind boggling. Like, holy shit, this is the world we live in. Like the, they were able to make arrangements for the evacuation of Spanish uh, diplomats from the Spanish yeah. embassy to the Kabul airport to be evacuated. Yeah. And that is, a, we got Airbnb. We got a, a guy who goes by Quentin Quarantino online, raised $6 <laughs> million for flights to evacuate refugees. And the American yeah. government's going, well, we, we sent our CIA chief to secretly meet with the guy in charge. We're doing good, guys. Yeah, participation trophy. We're still, we're still the authorities. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to think that the discrediting of the end of the war in Afghanistan as it's unfolded is something that we can really lean on yeah. as libertarians as a matter of policy because we 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 like to make the arguments from principle and then apply them, right? As, as most of us as libertarians, like, and, and once we see the code behind the matrix, that's what's most compelling to us, the code. Sure. Not the results, not the physical reality, but now the physical reality is holy fucking shit in your face, undeniable. And the implications for the incompetence of government cannot be more powerfully demonstrated like, thank you, government, for like. I, can we? Can we? Can this be the teachable moment? <clears throat> can I? Can I interject here and scale down your teachable moment to twenty years ago? Do you remember New York strong? And who who rebuilt that city? People, not the government. It was individuals, organizations raising money that brought New York back. But they will argue with you. That it's their patriotism and the government that brought them that solid end together. And I'd argue, no, it's good old American or just good old human spirit, not American spirit. They'll say it's American. Yeah. No, it's it's good old human intuition. We want to take care of each other. But the wool will be pulled over everybody's eyes again, like it was on 9 11. Well, there's there's and one the big did very little to rebuild New York. The, the, there's one big shift in, in terms of the talking point that we get out of this with this being the end of the war in Afghanistan. Is it like up until this point, libertarians criticizing the global war on terror as a matter of policy could do so on principle, could do so on cost, 
But if, if, if you wanted to make the practical argument, well, you know what? One of these days, we're going to win in Afghanistan. We're going to bring peace to Iraq. And both of these countries will have stable, modern governments that are members of the world community. And, and the people of Iraq and Afghanistan will be rich and prosperous. And, and just, just give us a few more trillion dollars in a few more years, and we promise we'll make it happen. And the people who are clean to that for emotional reasons, could cling to that. And now the government is saying, mm, nah, never mind, we give up. Mm, nah, mm, nah, we give up. Yeah, mm, nah, not, not gonna happen. You, you know what it is? You know what it is a testament to? It is a testament to no matter the government process and no matter the amount of money the government has, it is always inefficient. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could, there, you could, you could rebuild, I mean, the, you could you could probably have have helped the, the the Afghans themselves rebuild that country without us ever being there, uh, probably for a couple million dollars. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, how much money do we spend? Like eighty five trillion dollars or something stupid. I don't even know what what does that amount of money even look like. I'm I'm waiting for the infographics now. We, we hadn't spent twenty years in Afghanistan replacing the Taliban with the Taliban. Here's what we could have done with that money. Well, oh, man. just the money, just the money. Somebody will do like that. not the lives, the effort, the 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 uh, off the books resources of of national pride going to support the troops and you know all the all the USO and care packages and family support for troops overseas. Just the money, just the money. What could we have done over the last twenty years? I don't know. Ended ended hunger. We could have ended I'm hunger. Like we could have built systems of food production and distribution and ended, we could have given every human on earth basic food security. And instead, you know what we did? Next headline from theguardian.com. Afghanistan could start to run out of food by September. Great. Yeah, World Food Program calls for urgent aid as chaos of Taliban takes over and second drought in three years create dire humanitarian situation. Now. I, I don't think that I, I think this is a little exaggerated. It is because I hear run out of food. That means all the fish and animals die. Yeah, like, well, you know, like yeah. that's what I hear. Like, like, like there's no plants. Everything's gone. Like, did, mm -hmm. so okay, so they have a drought. So you're telling me all this, all this stuff we were supposed to be doing over there with all this money, been working on infrastructure. I'm gonna make this compar comparison real quick. If you thought we were in Afghanistan or Iraq and actually building infrastructure, look at our own country and see how our infrastructure looks. That should be a clear indicator that we don't know what we're doing. The federal, I'm not gonna use we, the federal government does not know what they are doing when it comes to infrastructure. So if, if anybody believed over the course of time that we were building infrastructure in Afghanistan or Iraq, I have some really unfortunate news for you. <laughs> Probably bullshit. Ah, yeah, like, like what are we, what are we doing? We're like killing farmers in our own country, man. Why would you Why would you trust us to do that in another country? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I I think one of the another another critical turning point in the future for Afghanistan is is going to come from whether or not the United States gets away with embargoes or any kind of trade interference with Afghanistan because they're rule because it's the Taliban. It's not Afghanistan. It's the Taliban. You can't trade with the Taliban. And it, I mean, I, obviously I've ran it on this show plenty of times about 
the importance of free trade and empower. I mean, even in the last week, I've just been like, I feel like it's come up in every interview that we, we have to fight this potential for embargoes. I think that's a, a very realistic possibility right now. And nothing would be worse for the people of Afghanistan. It's right. like the U.S. government goes and beats them up and then says, all right, we're done beating you up, but we're going to we're going to kick you while you're down. And we're going to keep you down. And we're going to make sure that you don't become empowered and we, you don't become a story that the world hears. And and that is is, is often typical of you know, a lot of the, the third world military imperialism of the United States. I'm I'm hopeful, though, that it, in the age of Internet scrutiny, that they won't get away with that. Fun story now from InfoWars. Taliban leader declares occupation of Afghanistan on Twitter. Yeah, this is the fun part. And it, I, I don't know about this. This is by Steve Watson. And this is from last week. Um, he's not uh, promoting the actual uh, Twitter account. But in this case, the one that he was citing was, uh, was deleted from Twitter. Um, but here's the statement. And this, the, I missed this, but I think this is an important note of what the, because the Tal, a lot of people are seeing the Taliban trying to project themselves as this new humanitarian government representative of the people, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are going, yeah, right. You're the Taliban. You're a bunch of brutal murdering terrorists. And it's like, well, we were fighting off worse, brutal murdering terrorists called the U.S. military. So, you know, first of all, get a little perspective. And again, I'm not, I'm not defending the Taliban. But I do believe that they are going to have to adapt. They're not going to just go back to how it was in the 90s. And so if they can't get this message out of, hey, we want to be good now, we have nothing to even hold them to account for. So the censorship is already very dangerous. So the message was, we assured all embassies, diplomatic centers, institutions, and places, and foreign nationals in Kabul that they will not face any danger. Let everyone be in Kabul with full confidence. The forces of the Islamic Emirate are tasked with strengthening the security of Kabul and all other cities. Now, next, just by contrast, horrific, fear-mongering, bullshit headline. Are you ready? This is from the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. We're usually not too, hmm, okay. Headline. Credible reports of executions by Taliban, UN. There's a first sentence or in this report, reports of the Taliban carrying out summary executions in Afghanistan are credible, says UN Human Rights High Commissioner Michelle Bachelet. Other rights violations, including restrictions on women and recruiting child soldiers were also reported. And then the next sentence is, the Taliban practiced a strict version of Islamic law Sharia when they ran Afghanistan before 2001. And then zero, zero information. I'm, I read this whole article twice going, okay, so where's the part about the executions? Well, where are they happening? Who's being executed? And, and the, the, the general theory is that, oh, they're going to execute anybody who worked with the U.S. military. It's like They couldn't do that. That's way too many people. Individuals who cross them in particular, maybe. But again, the, the fear-mongering about the Taliban right now is really strange. Another, I, maybe not strange, predictable demonization of the new enemy, right? Politico.com, 
an enormously valuable trove, America's race against Afghan data. Having seized Kabul, the Taliban can tap into government databases and communications data to go after U.S. allies who don't get out. Uh, I, I don't think that's really going to be viable, but that data is out there. And that's, uh, again, well, now we have to set, send in special forces troops to go secure the hard drives with all the data. So the Afghans, the Taliban can't figure out who the ones that we're working with. Yeah, I, mm, I, I see more excuses for re-engagement here. But what I think is so cool about this, and, and I want to end our, our block on Afghanistan to set up our guest who is waiting patiently backstage because his work is so important in defeating censorship. But with the challenge that Twitter is facing right now or Facebook, any of these mainstream social media platforms, well, do we let the Taliban on? Are they, hmm. And Facebook has said, you know, totally uh, banned. Twitter's got some weird things there. They're sort of dancing around. Reason.com has this headline, the Taliban is no excuse to crack down on secure tech. Breaking encryption technologies always makes us less safe, no matter what the justifications is. Andrea O'Sullivan. It's a great article and talks about a lot of different specific examples where they were using, the Taliban was using WhatsApp as a customer service hotline for, as the government of Afghanistan going like, hey, you can complain to us if there's something going on, let us know. And then they got kicked off. That And that's Facebook-owned WhatsApp. And you go, I, it, 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 even if speech is wrong or bad, unless it's an immediate fraud, the answer is better speech. And one of the things that I think is powerful and beautiful is how the Taliban is engaging on the internet. And it's like, you can't send it there. You can't you can't broadcast a censored message on the internet without some kind of feedback one way or another. Oh yeah. It, it's got to be two way. It's going it, to it's like, you know, nature find life finds a way, the internet finds a way. There will be calm there. It's not like TV radio, you can broadcast your propaganda and it's the only thing in that space and the Taliban right now is really challenging this. So, on I encourage everybody to check out this article t.me/anniversaryman it's in the notes. Um, I just want to read the last two paragraphs and then we'll go to our guest. Andrea writes, the ascendancy of the Taliban could provide another justification for more controls on cryptocurrency. U.S. aligned financial institutions have already started choking Afghanistan of capital channels where they froze nine and a half billion dollars in assets held in the U.S. Innocent Afghans will be hurt and commentators are noting that cryptocurrency is on the rise in their country. Yeah, who, who would have guessed? Maybe, maybe Afghanistan has a technological leapfrog effect and becomes a, a world leader in crypto uh, implementation, right? It will take one only it will only take one story of a possibly Taliban aligned actor using Bitcoin for anti-cryptocurrency actors to pounce. But using digital cash to protect privacy and security should be seen as a fundamental human right and we should defend it with the equivalent fervor. The justifications may change with the crisis of the week, but the reality that breaking secure and private technologies will make everyone less safe remains the same. What is happening in Afghanistan is terrible, but it is no excuse to give the government more power over technology. Don't fall for it. All right, Steve, keep the comments coming. I know we're gonna have some questions here. 
We're going to get oh, yeah. a primer on library and Odyssey from none other than Jeremy Kaufman. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is Jeremy Kaufman, CEO of Library, the safest and freest way to share digital content, a serial entrepreneur, longtime supporter of decentralized technology and freedom of information. And I, I didn't even, I, I knew about your involvement with Library and Odyssey and I was like, oh, you're in New Hampshire? Hell oh, yeah. yeah, free state project as, a, right. as an incubator for good ideas. I love it. So, Jeremy, uh, thank you for sharing your time with us today. I know you have to go uh, at 930, and we're going to try to pack a lot in here. Uh, so, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, it's it's great to be here with you, Adam. I, I appreciate everything you do. So, I, I, I personally am really excited about this ideologically, beating censorship, decentralization, all of these things with blockchain, alternative currencies, take down the Fed, take down coercive government, but immediately fighting censorship right now. I, I, I mean, I want to be better at this. I want to support your project. Uh, I, I want to. I, I think library can be the bridge to another golden age of the internet. So for people who, I, I'm already talking over people's heads. Where do we start with this? Do you want to start with your story or the fundamentals of blockchain and how that relates to library to Odyssey? But please, everything is appropriate. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start really simply and we can get more complex but we'll keep it really simple if you go to odyssey.com you're going to have an experience that's much closer to where youtube was a decade ago it's it's fun it's wacky you can find all kinds of stuff on there and it's going to be a site that's going to be way more respectful to you as a viewer and to creators in terms of the policies that are on that website and Odyssey is really simple to use. We're gonna this conversation might get a little bit complex. And so I really want to emphasize up front: you go to Odyssey.com, you create an account, you follow Adam Kokesh and a bunch of other great creators on there, and you just have a good time. And you even earn cryptocurrency for using it. And you don't have to understand all the complexities that make some of the things that we're doing possible. So I want to start out there really easy. Odyssey is built on top of a blockchain technology called Library, LBRY, and this is a decentralized. All right, hold on. I got to interrupt. Yeah. How, yeah. how did you pronounce that word? Because Which it's one? LBRY. Library. Yeah. Library or library? Just library. Just library, like library, like a place with books. Okay. So it is yeah. library. Say yeah. it right, the full word. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. LBRY is also entirely appropriate. But that's uh, where you get all of the blockchain, uh, all of the blockchain pieces. So library is a public blockchain. Everything that's published to the network, there's a record made in that blockchain. There's a peer-to-peer -peer network that supports that. And again, I'm already probably talking over some people's heads. So the most fundamental thing to understand is that library does to publishing what Bitcoin does to money. And what that means is it, di it disintermediates it. There's not this... We, we've taken away the ability for someone to deplatform you. We've taken mm -hmm. away the ability for someone to take away your identity. You as a creator, you own your identity on library the same way that you own your Bitcoin. Now, a lot of well, people, they might not want to own their own Bitcoin. Odyssey is better for them. It's Odyssey is really easy to use. Um, yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so like jumping in with the hard question, it, censorship resistant. Anybody can publish if it's hosted. There's got to be limits. Is if someone's using this platform to commit a fraud or threaten violence or harass or or scam people, what what's your policy? Yeah, look, there's no there's no CEO of email. There's no ability to control all of email and reach into someone's email inbox and delete messages. There's no CEO of the internet, right, who can reach in and just take down any website. Library is returning the web to the way that it's basically always worked and parts of it still work this way. Um, it, it's really, we, we gave up on that sort of um, older version of the web for all of the good stuff that web 2.0 gave us, you know, with recommendations and all of these things. And a lot of it's really great. We're not trying to throw that away. We're trying to get the best of both. So we're trying to have, we're trying to say that you remain in control in the same way that you did in sort of the web 1.0, but we're trying to give you the features and functionality of the web 2.0, which did do a lot of really cool things. So the things that you say, just to make the distinction though, are these beautiful invulnerabilities of the core foundational library blockchain. The Odyssey system that's built on top of that as an interface is still something that is controlled and managed as, as a social network, right? Correct. So we manage Odyssey. Odyssey does have content guidelines like for example you can't post pornography to odyssey you might be able to find it on the library network i'm not i'm not gonna say anything too much about that but um you know and so so odyssey does have a couple of different rules odyssey wants to remain a legal uh you know uh, website you know where so even like and i'm I'm not happy that we had to do this but for example to get odyssey into the the ios app store we had to filter searches for coronavirus related information. It was the only way they would approve the app. So Odyssey oh, is sort of, no. yeah, yeah. But the point I, is, it's still, it's still, it sucks. I don't agree with it. Right. But Odyssey is kind of the pragmatic uh, brand. It, it's going to do what it needs to do to stay legal, to stay accessible. If you want to go whole hog, if you want to say, I make all the choices for myself, you get library desktop. I'm curious though about the specifics of this particular censorship compromise. And I, I, I'm not blaming you for this. Like, I, I, I understand like what you're trying to do. There, there, anybody trying to think that this, that because it's blockchain, it's pure aesthetic, zero contribution to any evils of the world is, is, you know, deluding themselves. But what, what did, the Apple iOS store policy or, or the people behind it actually ask you to do? And did that affect everything other than the iOS app or just the iOS app? Just the iOS app. So just okay. we made that compromise as narrow as possible to allow the app to be in the store because it's better that the app be in the store than it, that it not be accessible at all. And it, the the videos are still accessible. It was actually a kind of a hack to because we figured out that they were just typing the terms in to the search um, and so if we, we just disabled a couple of search keywords and that got it through uh, the mm. app review. Um, mm. But it, it, you know, we had to go back and forth for weeks with them um, to even get it, get it through like this. And so, yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I, Odyssey is being used by um, more than 30 million people each month. These people are coming on and they're getting 98, 99% 
of of what's there and they'll eventually find out and they want to if their people want to graduate and make their way to the the full peer-to-peer -peer version um you know they can do that ios is very locked down so there's not an ability like on android if if, if google ever made us do that we would release a separate APK that you could direct download mm. and, and bypass. In the case of iOS specifically, you well, can't- Hold on, let me, can I, can I jump in? I, yeah. I, I think you're over people's heads a little Sorry. bit now. Right, on that yeah. one. Just so people know, if you have an Android phone, because a lot of people are really just basic users. They want to have an easy experience and do the things to get the thing, you know, make it work to get things done, not play with it and hack at it like a lot of us. So with if you have an Android phone, yes, Google will limit what is in the Google Play Store to what they officially approve and legally stand behind. However, because of the nature of the Android OS itself, the operating system of Android, you can download an APK file. I don't even know what that stands for, but that's the independent uh, uh, program file that will load any other app on your phone. I've used it for some special camera features and some other things I probably shouldn't mention online. Yeah. And just to someone in the, in the comments here saying, Hey, I, I knew I was shadow banned. No one's shadow banned. Um, the filtering was only on iOS and all of our code is open source. And that's one of the benefits of this approach versus the other ones. Everything we do is open source. It is literally impossible for us to quote shadow ban. It can't be in the shadows. There are some channels that on Odyssey, we legally have to filter from, search results and you can find the listing of those it's not mm. a secret okay so um you know but basically that's um that's odyssey odyssey's doing tremendously odyssey launched less than a year ago it's now a top 1500 uh website and it's being used by more than 30 million people each month i mean so we're winning you know so for people here who are out there you're kind of looking for uh you know some reasons to be optimistic we are uh, winning. Uh, this is working. And we are going to make sure that, um, you know, sort of Silicon Valley elites or these kinds of people who, who want to control what we're allowed to say one another, we're not going to let them do it. Okay. Um, and we're being very smart uh, about how we're doing that. So I have a sense of the history of the internet from my own experience of going, of, of, of seeing it go through, you know, an infancy and then a, a, a golden age of independent media where like my channel on YouTube was able to flourish. So many others in, in the Ron Paul era who started independent media efforts during that time were able to flourish. And then as Facebook and, and, and Twitter and, and YouTube sort of hit a critical mass of corporate control, we've entered this, this weird era of, of shadow ban censorship online that maybe is peaking with COVID censorship, right? But I feel like we're coming to the end of it. I, I hope this, I, if, if you have a different, I've been very subjective, like I said, based on my experience with the internet and my personal, I mean, my worst shadow banning and, and demonetization, all the other bullshit I've experienced with YouTube is, is, is maddening. But it, it, it seems like right now we're coming to the end of, of this era where old institutions of government and corporatism and control were able to come onto the internet and now the internet is becoming the internet again and realizing its potential as a truly open field of communication. It, 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 does that square with your understanding? And more importantly, as a question then, how do you see Odyssey's role in perhaps transitioning from this era of internet censorship to another age of free speech online? 
Uh, 100%. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge optimist. Um, seeing our our success is is certainly part of of the reason why, um, and 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 everything you're saying is true. This is all public information. You can Google like leaked YouTube P scores uh, or, or various YouTube executives, including the CEO, are on record saying that they they boost authoritative quote authoritative sources and deboost other ones, even though their own data says that users don't like it. Okay, so they see it as their job to push certain information on onto people, regardless of whether or not the users of the site uh, want to be seeing it. So they're extremely paternalistic in their approach. Mm -hmm. This is not debatable. It's well-documented fact. Now, as to why I'm an optimist, I'll give you an analogy. Um, the Berlin Wall did not go up when West Germany and East Germany split into two countries. It went up 15 mm. years later. Okay, mm -hmm. that is, it had to go up once the propaganda started to fail, once people chose to leave. Okay, so the, the crackdown that we're seeing, I honestly interpret it optimistically. Okay, ah. they have to do this stuff because they are losing. All right, they don't, they're not doing, they're not, this isn't winning. They're doing it because they're losing and it's not going to work because there's, there's cracks in the wall, there's ways around it. Right. And that's why we're seeing such this massive flood of, mm -hmm. of people. And we're talking about, by the way, it's mainstream stuff, all right? This is way different than, uh, way different than like a bit shoot. And I, I love what they're doing. I love their approach, very pro free speech. So I'm not trying to knock them. But if you compare the content that you can find on Odyssey to some of these other sites out there, I mean, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of creators on Odyssey. Some really, really huge ones. I think there are like 200 YouTubers with a million or more subscribers who have who are now publishing to Odyssey. So mm. it's like. The, the this approach, this authoritarian approach of saying, I'm going to decide what you ought to be seeing. It's not popular. It's not working, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's tough. To, it's tough to do this job and not be an optimist. Well, th thank you, Jeremy. I, I needed to be reminded of that. Like, you know, the with, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they win. And they're at that phase in, in the information war, if you want to call it that. Uh, to tap Alex Jones's best branding idea ever, because uh, it is—it's an information war that we're in. It, you know, struggle for the the paradigm of of subservience versus freedom, and the fact that they have to resort to this kind of censorship right now is—it's—it's because people don't want to fall in line. There's a there's a deep psychological resistance. So can you speak to that now and, and, and how we might overcome that in order to shift people away from these polluted conversations? I mean, just quickly as an aside, I've been really disengaged from Facebook. I, I maintain a presence there. But holy shit, like I, once you see it, 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 it feels toxic. And yet there isn't a, a, a push button. OK, now I have a better version of Facebook. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do we sort of psychologically divorce people from those subservient online habits? So something that I and and, and uh, you may have experienced this yourself, or I've certainly seen other a lot of people do it, is they they sort of try to go cold turkey, and it's really hard, especially during the COVID era when it's harder than ever to to kind of see people in in real life. Although I'll say in New Hampshire we're doing doing pretty well on that front. Um, but uh, you know, I think a better um, way is like you're forming a new habit, right? And so one of the best ways to do it, I think, is to just 
is to start with something and, and try to grow that habit. And you can think of it as like literally developing a, a good habit, right? Using a website like Odyssey is a better habit than using a website like YouTube. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go wake up one day and be like, I'm done with YouTube. I'm never using it again. I'm only going to use Odyssey. It's awesome if you can do that. So I'm not trying to discourage you from doing that, but you might find as, oh, I really miss so-and-so and you're back on YouTube and you're back in your old habits. Instead, work on that habit. I'm I'm going to use Odyssey to watch this channel or this set of channels and I'm only, you know and I'm going to use those and you're going to grow and you're going to get more comfortable with it. You're going to make friends there. You're going to find new uh, connections and you're going to find your desire to go back kind of growing over time. Um, and that's also why, for example, we do things like we have the, this program where if you're a YouTube creator, you can port all of your content over and you can even yeah. have it automatically publish. So it's easier to get started. And so with all of these quote alternatives, although I think they're all successors, um, you know, I think it's, you have to find ways of, of, of sort of altering these habits in a more human way, in a more gradual way. Most people can't go from, um, you know, eating, eating fast food and not working out to a perfect diet and, and, you know, doing their, their hour of fitness training a day, right? You got to work on the habit over time. And so I mm -hmm. think with our social media habits, we should have that same, same kind of approach. I'm, a little embarrassed to admit how relevant that advice is for me. I'm like, you know what? I need to move the YouTube icon off my phone home screen with the Odyssey icon on. The other thing I, I want to point out, Telegram is, is one that I'm very excited for as another alternative platform because uh, there's so many. And, and, you know, you mentioned BitChute as maybe the best proxy blockchain competitor with Odyssey. But Odyssey is not the, the be-all, end-all. Is it possible that on the library blockchain, there's going to be other uh, websites developed that might function like Facebook or Twitter in a way that could displace them? Um, there, there's an, another effort out there to create, and I apologize for forgetting the specifics, uh, decentralized social networking protocol, DSNP, in order to create a code that would allow users to control their social media streams from whatever platform it's published on. So what else are you excited about coming? What else is coming on the library blockchain? And and what in this, so which of your competitors are, are you most excited for? Oh, I don't know if I'm, uh, I don't know about that one. Um, I'll say that uh, we're, <laughs> uh, we're uh, we, we are pushing into text, into news. Um, we have a new partnership. It hasn't been announced yet. So this is kind of uh, breaking a little bit here, but that's going to come out in the near uh, future. Um, so there's going to be a news and, and more text uh, oriented app because of course you can find video news already on 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 Odyssey. Um, I mean, I think people should try um, all kinds of ones. Um, find you know find what's working. Um, you know find find what you like. One thing I will say um, is that a lot of these you know like I like Telegram. I like the principles of Telegram. One of the challenges is, and this is part of why it can be hard to leave these traditional social sites, is that their algorithms are actually really good in some ways, right? Some ways. The secret banning stuff, I don't like that. Um, the fact that they don't give you as much control as you should have, I don't like that. But some of it, in terms of the ability for, for some of these machine learning algorithms to figure out what's relevant to you, um, I actually think they're really powerful and, and it's kind of the missing sauce at times. Like, you know, if you join 40 Telegram groups, you follow everyone you like 
you know that you like and you follow them on telegram it can be overwhelming to keep up with all of the the messages so telegram works mm -hmm. great in my opinion when you've got this smaller set of people that you really want to stay on top of as it gets longer and longer it can become overwhelming you open the app i have all of these unread messages um and so i think that like the alternatives do need to figure out a way of, of sort of solving this um solving some of these problems um and this is an area of active work for us uh, as well. Um, but you know, I think the number one thing is to be, um, getting out of, get out of the big, the ones that have treated you poorly, right? The ones, which is, I think basically every big one is, has treated people poorly at this point. You know, um, we've, we've, you've got to start working on, on, uh, on your habits of using some, um, using some alternative to those. Um, um, cause that's, that's how free markets work. That's how competition works. And we also have to accept that it takes time. Um, you know, these websites, these major companies, they didn't get big overnight. It took years for them to build up to the size that they are. And it is going to take years for, for people to to exit. So I there's a question about left-wing content creators. Maybe you want to speak to the diversity yeah. of political thought on Odyssey? Absolutely. It's a huge – I mean, Odyssey is not even that political. You can obviously find political content on it. But, you know, we've got a bunch of the, of the young Turks. There's a bunch of Bernie supporters. Um uh, you know, there's uh, a number of channels that are um, that are left of center or or even far left. The idea that because also these guys are affected um, as well. And the idea that you want to make choices for yourself, that's not right wing. That's not left wing. You know, that's something that like I can't find honestly anyone who believes that you go to someone, you say, hey, uh, would you rather choose what you get to watch or would you rather Mark Zuckerberg choose for you? You know, no one says Mark Zuckerberg, this it, this censorship stuff. It's always for them, but not for me. Right. It's always, oh, I want other people to be censored, but I don't want anything that I like to be um, to be censored. And so the idea of, of empowering people to be able to make choices for themselves, it is not mm. um, it's not any particular ideology. That's everyone. And that's and we're yeah. winning with everyone. And and I would encourage anyone go on to Odyssey.com, look through the categories, look through the homepage. It's not dominated by fringe stuff. Um, now, is there is there fringe stuff on there? And should fringe stuff be called fringe? I'm not trying to like. You know, I think people should believe what they want to believe. Um, so I'm not. You know, you like that stuff. That's cool. You know. Um, but uh, it you're gonna find. Um, things that it, it's not going to be, it's very different from some of the other quote alternatives in terms of the content that you can, you can find on Odyssey. So I know we only got a few minutes. I want to hit three questions. At least Mike Freeman asks, uh, who are, who have you been reaching out to with uh, the free speech message in particular? Uh, I want to know about uh, the status of your SEC case, since that's how they're coming after you. And uh, obviously, back to your, your earlier answer about the, the old platforms, fuck Facebook, fuck Instagram, fuck YouTube. I mean, those are ones for sure. Twitter, I, I, is, is, it's, I'm like, I, uh, Jack Dorsey starts tweeting Murray Rothbard and I go, huh? Uh, maybe, uh. But yeah, is, is Thoughts on that? Anyway, those three questions. I'll try to run through it quickly. One is we're trying to get all kinds of stuff. So I'll give you an example. Odyssey had a – it actually didn't end up working out uh, for funny reasons, but it's going to get rescheduled. Odyssey was about to do a live stream debate. It was going to be hosted by Ethan Ralph of Destiny. 
uh, versus um, Mark Collette. You know, um, we both have very different perspectives, and they were going to kind of hash it out on air. You know, this is the kind of thing we want to be encouraging. We're not. We're trying to encourage you know debate and discussion and just kind of like weird alternative. Uh, stuff that's kind of cool and the, the way that YouTube was a decade ago you know we're not trying we're it's it, it, Odyssey is not trying to push people in any particular direction ideologically it's trying to treat people like adults um, on the SEC stuff there's not uh, there's not much news uh, but uh, you know everything is going about as well as you could expect it's not a threat to the company um, they're trying to mess with us because it's how they can mess with us uh but it's not a threat to the library network it's not a threat to the odyssey project uh it's an annoyance for me uh personally um but it's all going to work out and everything there's going to be fine i wish i could give a longer update but but we're kind of running out of um you know, we're kind of running out of time um on on jack dorsey uh, you know tweeting rothbard i, I don't want to defend these big companies too much but i do some think something that happens is like they're they're uh, you have a company this size the ceo is not in charge the CEO has influence, but the right. CEO, you know, no different than any other large company, an order comes down on top. If the people don't agree with that, they're just going to do whatever they want anyway. And so I think one of the, one aspect of the phenomenon is these moderation teams, these quote trust and safety teams, which are generally full of people who are literally communists, as far as I'm concerned, they they mm -hmm. they get full of people with a, a certain type of ideology, and they just do this no matter what. Like I'm, I'm not trying to defend Twitter, but I'm not convinced that that Jack would have done the things that some of his company did. Um, mm. Hopefully, or or if he would have in the past, hopefully he's getting educated. I mean, I again, part sorry for being uh, so optimistic all the time, but if Jack <laughs> if Jack's tweeting a link to Rothbard, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to celebrate that he he's either evolving his opinions, hopefully, to be in a better place, or their opinions he held and he's out of control of his company. Um, you know, but that's I don't, you know that's a good thing. Rothbard trending on Twitter is a good thing, and you're not going to convince me. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe Jack's awakening will be manifest by him telling everybody on Twitter to get off when the library built a, a platform on top of it to replace it is available. And I'd love to see him do that and sabotage his own creation. Say, hey, guys, there's something better now. That would be an ultimate mark of integrity but one on the path that you are already walking, Jeremy, I am so grateful that our movement has you, that the internet has you. I think people like you, entrepreneurs like you who are putting together these projects are, are going to be the godfathers of the new internet. So uh, odyssey.com, check it out. We are there. We are live streaming there through StreamYard and uh, looking to build out our presence there. So Jeremy, again, thank you for your time. And, and, your uh the, the platform is yours as as uh i mean really uh, you ever want to come on for updates you ever have the next rollout it, it sounded like what you were teasing there was a a blog functionality website on top of library as well i want to know about that if, if you want to uh, have someone uh, from the company come on who's going to be in charge of that project we we'd love to uh you know get into all of your rollout so again thank you for your time sir yeah. Yeah, I'll absolutely be back on. I will say, make sure to go follow Adam on, on Odyssey if you're not already. And uh, I'll, as my final note, I'll say I want to be Prometheus, not a king. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Cheers. Well said, sir. All right. Uh, this this gives me, man, I I didn't think that I was going to find a guest. I'm more optimistic than me on on something like that. But I guess when you're when you live in New Hampshire and you're part of the Free State Project, and you're doing this kind of work, it's, it's hard not to be optimistic.
And, and I really do want to underscore why I needed that particular note of optimism right now. And it's because I, I get bogged down by my own experience of, of censorship and, and shadow banning. And it's, it's, it's tough to, you know, when, when you are, uh, you know, I hesitate to complain about any of this because it's also first world problems. And I also like, Hey, if someone was saying what I was saying, you know, 300 years ago to the King's government, they, they'd be beheaded, exiled, have their tongue cut out. Uh, we are so lucky to live in a world where uh, I can be of, uh, at least on the internet, I can say whatever I want. I can be a full-throated dissident and, and, and declare all government power and authority in the world to be illegitimate and, and not be murdered for just that at least. And we've come a long ways. I mean, you get murdered by government for a lot of fucked up things that you don't deserve it for. R.I.P. John McAfee, of course. But we live in a world where this is the fight. And I think incorporating that into my worldview is something that deserves a little more weight right now. Why are they censoring everything that they are censoring? Even in the mainstream media, the vaccines are a cause for great division. They're not able to get away with, well, oh yeah, everybody's on board. Everybody loves government. Everybody loves Biden. Can't you tell? Everybody, look, everybody's got the vaccine. You're the only one. We're going door to door to find that last 1%. No, it's like half the country. The other thing I've been pondering since Thursday Mike Adams, and I've been going over some of his writings on, on this idea of his, that it's not, maybe it's not his idea, but the, the way that he describes the deliberate depopulation agenda behind the vaccines. And I keep thinking, yeah, there are people in the super class who not only don't give a fuck about your life and would kill you for profit or to maintain their wealth and power, but there are also among that group of people who make up the superclass, there are eugenicists. There are those who would rather the population of humanity be a lot smaller than it is today. And they have a lot of power. And they seem to be pulling a lot of powerful strings right now. So with that, we get to our grab bag. I don't know, Steve, if, did we miss any critical comments before we get to our grab bag, Steve, or thoughts on, on uh, our interview with Jeremy? No, no, everyone, everyone, uh, I think the couple questions I had up there were, were pretty much the, the main questions everybody had. <clears throat> you know, I, I just joined Odyssey like a week or two ago um, so I could avoid uploading political stuff to YouTube. Um, and it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Um, Jeremy's doing a great job. You know, he's a, I learned a little bit about him from uh, messaging on social media. So, <laughs> Uh, I still have not perfected uh, my version of that, but, you know, um, he's he's a good all-around guy. And um, most of the folks from LP NH are, are all good folks. They are, they're all they're all trending. Uh, I think I think the, the the way that the party should move um, and really the way the really the way that the thought process um, should be for for libertarianism. I, I think I agree. Well, I'm saying it's probably 85, 90 percent of of what they're doing. So 
it's always exciting. And, and that's a lot by libertarian standards. Is he... Since was apparently after honestly after today and uh, you know everybody accusing me of encouraging slave labor and uh, breaking laws and whatever else they're doing. Um, you know what? I'm okay with that. You know what? If if your accusation of me is that I break laws as a libertarian, I win. I win that every day. You're doing it right. <laughs> Good people break bad <laughs> laws. Yeah, uh, the, but uh, the concerning thing: the amount of people who 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 are okay with laws very concerning. <laughs> uh, very very certain laws, very certain laws. You know, I'm like, well, I break the law every day. I, I have a sports car. Guess what's my favorite law to break? All right, like that's <laughs> you know. But like, everyone's like, oh, well, you shouldn't break laws, and I'm like, you're telling me that every day. If you're on a road that says 45 miles an hour, you go 45 miles an hour. There's not one day that you didn't break that law. Bullshit. Bullshit. All these stupid laws like, oh, they're coming here to work, uh, but they're taking our jobs. And, and it's illegal to do that. And it's illegal for them to come here and work. Bullshit. Is that the thread that will unravel the sweater of statism? We just have to talk about disobeying speed limits. Probably. Probably, it's the one thing that I know that like everybody does, okay? Like if I'm gonna find the one person sometime and they're gonna be like, I've never broken the speed limit and I'm gonna be like, bullshit. I've met those people. <laughs> All right, well, we have four more stories today in our in our sort of grab bag, but it's really a, a pair of short segments. We've got one on January 6th, uh, and, and this is actually sort of related to this. This was actually uh, from the December 12th demonstration with Enrique Tarrio of the Proud Boys. Washington Post at MSN.com, Proud Boys leader Henry Enrique Tarrio sentenced to five months in jail. A national leader of the Proud Boys, a far right group with a history of violence, was sentenced Monday to five months in jail for two crimes, including setting fire to a stolen Black Lives Matter banner during a tumultuous demonstration in Washington after the election defeat of President Donald Trump. And what's interesting about this, it, well, I mean, one of the things is that in, in the Proud Boys uh, leader, Enrique Tarrio, was revealed uh, a few months ago to be an FBI informant, or at least to have previously been an FBI informant. And that is not condemning by itself, right? Uh, if if my neighbor was, I, I don't know, torturing kids in their basement, and for some reason it was the FBI that was, was handling that case, and they came to me and said, we're sure this is happening, we'd appreciate your little help with this. Can you inform us about what's, okay, I'm an informant now. You see, so it's not inherently condemning by itself. A lot of people took, oh, Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio, FBI informant, as if like FBI agent or infiltrator or saboteur. And none of those things were necessarily true from what was released. But now this quirk of what he's facing legally would suggest that he's not really in any kind of favored position by the government. But again, we'll see how this plays out. So he had a remote hearing uh, for a court in D.C. from where he lives in Miami. And was uh, his, his defense attorney asked for 
uh, community service, and he ended up getting 155 days in the D.C. jail. This has um, uh, relatively little to do with any bigger Proud Boys stuff, but this was when the Proud Boys were marching through D.C., and uh, there was a banner that was stolen, a Black Lives Matter from Asbury United Methodist Church, historic black church at 11th and K. And uh, apparently they couldn't pin it on Enrique, but uh, he, was, he was sentenced for destroying the stolen property, for burning it. So it, it, it's a little bit of a weird case, but 155 days in jail in D.C. is no fucking joke. Uh, I did four months, well, three and a half, uh, in, in jail in D.C. with a month and a half of that in solitary. If he ends up doing five months, uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to the Proud Boys. So he was just ordered to report to the jail in D.C. within two weeks. And uh, the other thing he was charged with was like attempt to carry a high capacity magazine into D.C. Uh, they were empty, but capable of holding a total of 60 rounds. I mean, it's it's really silly, but Tario told police that he sold such magazines on the internet and had planned to deliver the two in his bag to a buyer who was in the city for the January 6th pro-Trump march. So there's the January 6th intersection aside from just the Proud Boys' general role in everything that happened that day. So I, I wonder if anything else is going to come out of this, if they're going to get him in jail and then keep him in jail because they can always throw more charges at him. You know, just because you're in jail and sentenced doesn't mean that the government can't discover or finally get around to charging you with something that you're not already in jail for. And this was a big part of, uh, when, incidentally for me, when I was in D.C. for the firearms charges, they threatened me with, oh, well, we'll just keep throwing. We've got you denied bail, yeah. Mike. It was because the judge thought I was going to be the next Adam Lanza school shooter because I had an arsenal with a, a, a safe full of guns, most of which I didn't even have ammo for. But whatever, you get the point. So the, the, at that point, my sentence is in the hands of the prosecutors. They bring more charges and more charges and more charges and keep me in jail as long as they want. So I, I'll be following up on this. Uh, Steve, any, any thoughts on Enrique Tari or the Proud Boys? Um, so my, my only thoughts on the Proud Boys is, um, you know, I, I think it, oh, so I think Tario's sense is a little harsh. Um, but given some recent events with the Proud Boys and them sort of doing to Antifa what Antifa was doing to businesses, and then everybody like screaming at each other that they're fighting fascism is sort of a, <laughs> uh, I'm like, I, I'm like, you both can't, like, you can't just do the same thing that they did. And then tell them that they're fascist because you're doing the same thing that they just did, which makes you the same thing. So, sounds like good old American logic. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, wait well, a second, it's time for me to rub my beard. Like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want, I want to point out, yeah, this is all obviously political persecution. Yeah, uh, there is a victim. A sign was stolen and burned. What a ten dollar cardboard sign? Yes. You know, yeah, you should have to pay the victims a, a fee for replacing it and getting it in the trouble and 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 make a public apology maybe. Although you know, apologies aren't really 
essential to justice, but you don't make the victims whole here. The firearm laws, a high capacity magazine into DC. Fuck you. Like they're really like you're getting, okay. Uh, that's the excuse, but uh, does it serve the members of that congregation that were the church as an institution that, that, that was the victim of, of this property destruction and theft? Does it serve them to now pay taxes to keep Enrique in jail for five months? Of course not. And what's interesting, too, is that they could have gotten him on a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and this is what they went with. So well, you know, what comes out of this politically, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be I want to see what he says when he goes to jail or if he has a statement, you know, when he's going to jail, what kind of public <laughs> statement he makes about it. But here's the next story in the January 6th block oh, sweet. of August 24, 2021. Uh, Washington Post and MSN.com. Oathkeeper wins release from jail after lawyer says he is no longer radicalized. <laughs> now, just, yeah, you laugh because you're smart and your brain <laughs> automatically flips this around in your head. Right. And says, wait, does that mean he was in jail for being radicalized? You can be held in jail for thought crimes in America. Yeah. And this isn't new. It's just kind of in your face with this headline. But because we have been so divorced from any real concept of justice in the American legal system, and there's room for this sort of subjective, well, does the judge release you into the general public? Do The judge has to subjectively decide whether you are a threat to the community or not. And if you're a radical who supports a violent ideology, you might be a threat. And then it's pre-crimes and thought crimes. And, and now it's, it's, it's almost preemptive. And that, this is, that's what's kind of scary. And when the government put out what the federal government announced the, the general terror threat last week that could include, you know, anybody who thinks Trump won or is anti-vax or, or anti-COVID lockdowns, I mean, as, as a potential terrorist, then they can say, well, you combine those things, it, it, this, and I don't want to say this is a slippery slope we're falling down. I think it's when we're coming to the end of and, and coming out of hopefully but yeah, uh, a man accused of helping to coordinate a self-styled militia's incursion into the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was released Monday to home confinement after arguing his wife would keep him from falling back into extremist views. It's okay. My wife will protect me from those so, dangerous ideas. So you know what? You know what? You know what I have an issue with on these two articles. So there was an article a few days ago where the FBI said that they couldn't find a coordinated plot for January 6th, and that it just seemed like, uh, you know, protesters and that people, like, were in D.C. and that there wasn't an actual, like, terror-type thing, right? So, but now these articles that are coming out recently, they're like, oh, yeah, no, this person was radicalized, and they were January 6th. So that's no, they're totally radicalized. They're, that's a terrorist. And I'm like, no, I'm like, but the FBI just said no. Now you're just making stuff up, man. Like, it's not fair. <laughs> well, in this case, what's fun about it is that it was the federal public defender, Angie Halim, 
who is able to use that kind of subjective wiggle room to the advantage of someone escaping government persecution. As she said, she has no tolerance for that kind of talk referring to the guy, Joseph Hackett's wife. And uh, it was only after the judge agreed to release him, a prosecutor mentioned that his wife, Dina, hosted a political podcast. While the prosecutor did not describe the show's content, Dina Hackett co-hosted two episodes of a podcast called A&D's Patri Patriot Battle Cry, Rub That In, that's part of it, in which she described her husband as a political prisoner who was trying to preserve this country. The podcast also includes references to far-right conspiracy theories. Reached at home, Dina Hackett declined to comment. Her husband's defense attorneys did not immediately return a request for comment. Good for them. That's the time to stay quiet. Uh, but prosecutors allege in court records that Hackett led Sarasota members of the Oath Keepers, an anti-government group. And, and you know what? I got I to gotta interject here. Is, do you know why I'm pissed off? Do you know why I'm pissed off about this this language here, Steve? You figured out the anti-government group, the Oath Keepers, <laughs> whose name is about keeping their oath to the founding document of our current illegal government from the coup of 1789. They are pledging loyalty to government. So to I mean to say that they are anti-government. Uh, is is a real uh, strange rhetorical twist. Uh, but obviously they are in many ways anti-certain elements of government. They are generally for smaller government, yeah. uh, although they are still pro-constitution authoritarians, obviously. In preparation for January 6th, prosecutors say Hackett coordinated with founder Stuart Rhodes and took part in firearms training the day before the riot. The government alleges he brought guns to a hotel in Virginia for a QRF, Quick Reaction Force. And uh, they, I mean, there's there's a there's a little more to this backstory, but uh, they said that Hackett wasn't radicalized uh, based on conversations with his attorney, and uh, basically blamed the political leaders, as as she said. At some time, this country is going to have to have a reckoning about how much misinformation was out there for such a sustained amount of time. So this is a this is a fun little court follow up case coming out of January six. You read anything else into this one, Steve? Uh, not not that one. Um, I think the only thing I really saw recently about any January six stuff that caught my interest was that like. I think it was Reuters or someone reported there, like, yeah, the FBI didn't find anything. And I was like, oh, how about that? And then, like, now all these articles are coming out, and they're like, well, this person's getting charged or this person's getting arrested. So there was something. And I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> I'm like, I think you're making stuff up. And I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy about it, um, especially because that the stories that are coming out in contrast to the, to the, Reuters, the Reuters story are from – you know, more American mass media companies. And I'm like, what if, hear me out, you're all still full of shit. Like that's, <laughs> I'm like, you're not going to convince some of us. You're just not going to convince because we read, we read something that was very logical and we're like, yeah. And now they're like, nope, they were going to, they were going to kill, they were going to kill everybody. And I'm like, I don't think that 80 year old lady that had to be helped down the stairs was there to kill anybody, to be honest with you. Um, I find that very hard to believe. 
So the last story that we covered as an update from January 6th was the exoneration of uh, the uh, killer of Ashley Babbitt, whoever shot her. I, I hesitate to say murderous, not knowing uh, the, the exact circumstances, whether it qualified, but uh, the uh, the government agent we apparently has just been cleared. And I mean, that's, you want to talk about where was the violence in that? I. I have a, a feeling that there is going to be some decisive write-up a year or two from now as documents come out, as, as more... like well, The other thing we covered uh, about January 6th recently was that the federal prosecutors are refusing to release footage because there's just too much of it. And it's like, release it for the... The defendants don't have access to relevant government security footage because... There's too much of it. And it's like, how many times our, has the you government, give it to us, we go through it. That's how that works. <laughs> how many times has the government released a bill that's like thousands of pages? Like, that's not too much. Yeah, right. I, yeah, but they, yeah, they can vote on bills and legislation that they have no they idea. They can't even on. like possibly read in the time before they're heard from when they're released. But this, this is too much. Get the fuck out of here. All right. So our last block today, it's Tuesday. I was hoping to do more COVIDnomics. But I didn't want to beat it to death. Uh, we'll we'll do a full COVID block tomorrow. Oh, I got but a story. Oh, I got a story for you. I got a story for you out of out of Tucson. I don't know if we should wait till tomorrow, but it's it's kind of COVID and education related. Well, let's connect it to these two first, All and right. we'll see how much time we have left. Fox5NewYork.com. This is fast food COVIDnomics. Multiple Chick-fil-A locations closed their dining rooms due to worker shortage. While restaurants across the country have reopened their dining rooms after closing them due to the pandemic, a new problem has surfaced. Many businesses have reported having issues with staffing and are struggling to hire enough workers to meet the customer's needs. Now, this is, as someone who myself is is a is an entrepreneur, owns multiple businesses in the sense that you know and, and, and you know run the nonprofit Homefront Battle Buddies, or at least I I, I supervise Jim as as the uh, as the executive director, actually doing the running while I just chair the organization. Right? Uh, it's it's very difficult to get even volunteers uh, or or uh, interns or entry level employees because of these pressures right now and it's a really strange i don't it's not strange i mean it's a predictable distortion of the employment market that you have following all the covid relief bills and all the different problems that people are facing taking on new jobs where they go well if i have to get the vaccine well i don't know about this well there's this uncertainty here and with the covid policy going back and forth there's so much uncertainty about who's going to be allowed to work you know, when they raise the specter of, well, Delta or Lambda variant or whatever is next, and then we're going to have to have widespread shutdowns again, and all restaurants are going to be closed for in-person dining, tough shit. Well, why would you go and get a job that could just evaporate in a couple of months? Yep. So it, it's there's a there's a deeper pressure in all of this. In the last year and a half, in and this is of course a global phenomenon under COVID, but in the United States, if you think of the idea of uh, productivity versus consumption, right? Productivity has gone way down while consumption has stayed the same. Stores are running out, and I don't mean to say like 
we're running out like we're actually about to starve, but our economic reserves are depleted. And it's only getting worse as we maintain this suppressive element on productivity in these various forced unemployment crises. And now just the altered incentive system by government with unemployment and all the other benefits that make it almost impossible to hire people, even for fucking fast food jobs, which which which, which has been a staple of, of the American job market. You know, that if, if, if you can stand up straight and talk, you can get a job flipping burgers. You know, actually, you don't even have to talk if you're in the back, right? But like that, that anybody can do that in America, that that's an accessible job and that, that, that now it's, it's still accessible and people don't want it. They're having to shut down restaurants. And I, this is something like we've noticed even around this area, they're missing ingredients, they're missing food items yep. and they're cutting hours because of staff shortages. So the second story in our blog today, theguardian.com, McDonald's runs out of milkshakes. They're among supply chain issues. All right, fuck it. We're not America anymore. McDonald's doesn't have milkshakes. We're done. I give up. Pack it in. Not America. Really? McDonald's doesn't have milkshakes? How, how, how do we not give up at this point on this on this experiment? Uh, but yeah, this is just one other example. Um, and actually, what's funny about this one, can you guess where this is? England, Scotland, Wales. Shortage of lorry drivers. Lorry, that's where the supply, it's not, oh, magically we can't make milkshakes because COVID. Nobody's willing to drive the supplies around. Shortage of lorry drivers, remember lorry, that silly British word for truck. Shortage of lorry drivers reportedly to blame for issues affecting 1,250 outlets in England, Scotland, and Wales. Steve, you wanna share your story? Yeah, so um, this is a little bit of education and a little bit of uh, uh, <clears throat> stuff we got stuff we got going on here in beautiful southern Arizona. So Pima Community College had about $2.7 million in student debt over the last year because of COVID and students failing classes and all kinds of stuff. So with some federal money that they received, they got rid of the debt as long as the students agreed to come back and get back in debt by taking more classes. So, welcome to America. Cause I don't so, even, yeah. If I may insert, you know, a, a sort of bigger perspective point on that story, what that, what that makes me want to remind the audience of here is that the institutions that are functioning at all right now are the ones that function with government blessing. Oh yeah. And the vibrancy of the economy meeting human needs, providing goods and services that people want to consume, that that legitimate part of the economy, it's not just like overall economy suppressed. Yeah. It's like legitimate, actual market driven, meet human needs, based economic activity is hugely suppressed and the distorted segment of the economy through government subsidies through policies through examples like the one you just raised there with the schools in tucson or the school in tucson those are the ones that are able to sort of maintain economic activity and so in terms of the actual quality of life in in some ways 
it's actually a lot worse than even the numbers and headlines would suggest. And, and, and that's a scary thought. But again, it's, you know, we have the reserves. We're not starving in America yet. Yeah. We just can't get, uh, well, who knows? We can't, what was, we can't get cheesy. We couldn't get coffee or tea at Burger King. Couldn't get cheesy tots at Sonic. They were out of straws at Sonic. Sonic just cut an hour off the beginning and end of their operation hours. So yeah, we you can't get breakfast. Yeah. You can't get breakfast on your commute anymore because Sonic doesn't open until 8 a.m. when you have to be at work. If this McDonald's thing comes to America, I know I, I made a dumb joke that wasn't based in reality there, but if this comes to America, it's over. It's over. Uh, Steve, thank you for joining us. Joey, thank you for your commentary and everybody for listening. And Jim, give us the producer notes. What's going on, everybody? I hope you enjoyed the show. T.me forward slash Adam versus Man. That's the public Telegram channel. Everybody's welcome to patreon.com forward slash Adam versus Man. Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. Homeprofattlebuddies.com. TheCrypto6.com. And GoGreenEnergyOnline.com. Click them all and read everything on each of the websites and do them in whatever order you feel today. Love you. Have a great day. And according to Good News Network, it was on this day in 1853, potato chips were first prepared. Mm -hmm. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.